Welcome back, my friends, to the sweet spot where IT leaders share the inside with all leaders and other. Finally, <laughs> my name is Carlos Vargas. I don't every week. I have my two co hosts, Hart Holton and Paul Lewis. That was a good one. I had still to look haven't away. memorized it. I had to look away from the camera because I see you like. I figured I could get you with that one, Carlos. You know? Yeah. I know what, we... uh, what bourbon brand is this episode brought to us by? <laughs> we are episode one, Weller. five, one oh six, over a hundred. I don't know. I forgot wow. to count anymore. Look at this. We have thousands of hours worth of content here. Yeah. Actually, we have a lot of content and index and everything. So an index. Wow. Yeah. Must be in a relational database. Yeah, we have an actual video index relational database that you can do search on the content and the video pop up at that specific place where you said something. Have you wow. secured our API? Yes. <laughs> secure, so you need to get access to it. <laughs> yeah, so when is our mobile app going to launch, Carlos? <laughs> That's right. That's next on the on the list. Now that we have everything on the back end ready, we can actually have a mobile enabled version for that so we can have all that built in. That'd be pretty cool. Greater yeah. than Apple Podcasts. What, what would we call it? Like, what did Paul say? <laughs> the talking head database? The talking head database. <laughs> you know, that would be funny. Next uh, is coaching. Executive coaching. Actually, not not a, it's it's a pretty cool feature, all in all. Like that's kind of exciting. Yep. So speaking of exciting, I went and saw a movie last night. I believe it's called See How They Run, but I'm not positive because it wasn't very good. So I it was about three blind mice, is that what you're saying? Um, it was a Who Done It set in nineteen fifty three. Three, I think, in um, England, uh, about a murder that takes place at a um, Agatha Christie play called The Mousetrap. Hmm. Um, and, and it had all the elements necessary to be good, right? <laughs> it was a period piece. It was a comedy. It had a great cast, um, you know, based on a, on, a, on a classic author. I'm not familiar with The Mousetrap, so I have no idea what that particular, if, that, if that's even real um had like a, a real clue vibe to it and yet it had nothing joyful in it whatsoever it, it was so boring it's a 90 minute movie it was so boring in parts I, I started to doze off and in the parts where i didn't doze off i wish i had dozed off <laughs> you know what i mean like it was just so they just missed the mark so many times on so many things um was it uh, poorly written or poorly directed poorly written and poorly directed like they had both of those um and it was one of those things that on paper probably looked spectacular. You know what I mean? Like it probably from the studio perspective had all of the elements necessary to be great right. only to turn around and not, not end up actually being great. Like it just, right. it just, it just fell flat. And I'd love to know why, like I'd love to have somebody from the production production crew talk about, is this the best that you got out of these actors, this script 
on film and and the editor really like did the best they could do or did a bunch of good stuff get let on left on the cutting room floor right. that would you know that 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 audiences are going to wish they could have seen like is there a director's cut version of this that would have that would have fixed some of the pacing problems would have fixed some of the interest and excitement and engagement problems Oddly enough, this isn't the topic for today, but it would be interesting to talk about it in the future because you described a situation where one could have the best of every type of discipline on your team and still implement IT poorly. Well, right? you could have the best editor, therefore the best developer. You could have the best director, the best program manager and still not deliver the best IT. For sure. Well, how, that, that, could be, that could be connected. Because if you think about the movie, it's like a presentation, and they believe that they had the greatest thing. So they were believing their own BS. They were believing their own stuff. Like when somebody comes and tries to sell you a bag of goods, and you're like, uh, you know, you need to learn to present in a different way or do it something different. Well, or, or or the bag of goods is the same as everybody else's bag of goods. Right, which is the far more common common problem, right? Uh, I mean, I don't have forty different jobs I need to do with core storage. I don't have sixty three different things I need to do with compute. Compute kind of all does the computey things. Storage kind of all does the storagey things, right? Like I, yeah. I, I don't need the wide land, wild wild west landscape of products. The reality is, if if, if it's a core service, there are probably 50 different competitors, 48 of which would probably work fine. Right? Like Case in point, there is releases this week or next week of a previous organization to which the three of us work for, which includes features and functions of the same infrastructure devices they had when we were there. And I have to wonder to myself, in the last two years of developing these cool features, has it actually attracted any additional customers had, that they couldn't have attracted two years ago? Like, right. was the new features for not? It was just giving the engineering team something to do. It's faster. But at the same time, don't, don't we have an expectation as a market that, that the products will improve and, and we judge improvement by additional features? True. The things we can see and we can touch are how we how we judge this whether a product is successful, evolving, something that we want to buy, freaking sexy. Like, come on, we've Paul, you and I have been definitely been guilty of buying something because it was sexy. Sure, sure. Sometime in our career. But is there not an upper limit to that? Is there not an end? Sure, you can well, constantly sure. be fixing something. But how many sexy features did you actually like truly use and get value from? In fact, I can't think of it. <laughs> could, I, could I hot swap storage in the middle of the day on my core banking system? Yes, physically possible. Would I ever have done that? Clearly not. Right, right, right. right. There, was, there was all kinds of things that I thought were cool from a quasi-theoretical standpoint. And then when the rubber met the road, I'm like, yeah, okay, it's cool. I'm not going to use that. I'm not going to do that. Exactly. Right. Like, like it was neat. It was, it was a neat idea, but I, I'm not I'm not actually... And what's funny is the ones that I that I did use, no one else used. Right. So how what will if a vendor come to either one of you 
and they come with a story, how do you know if they believe their own, what they're selling to you? How do you believe, how do you know if they actually are delivering something that is credible or they just are selling you, like it was like a bag of goods that they don't even believe themselves? It depends. Did we choose this topic for the podcast or did we choose the other one? <laughs> it was the other one. <laughs> this is not Carlos hasn't just figured out how to take our little kind of chat back and forth and turn it into the topic, but he's juked to a completely different topic. No, 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 because the topic was if all if all products are effectively equal, how do we choose how do we choose a product? Right, we've been trying to bring you back a couple of minutes. Yeah, yeah. Versus, uh, there is another topic, which our viewers will get to get to hear, which is um, when you're presenting, don't maybe don't believe your own crap, if right. you don't believe your own bullshit. Um, I, I'm actually, I'm, I'm cool with either one. <laughs> well, we started down the legitimate, defensible, so let's keep going down that one. Yeah. So, so. So the question ultimately is, right, as an executive buyer, if every product is, to, to Paul's point there, legitimate and defensible, it does, it does what I need it to do, and it does it well enough that the decision to purchase it is defensible, how do I ever make a decision on what to buy? Yeah, what's left? And, and you could even abstract that higher to say, there are lots of different architectures one can implement to solve this technical problem, right? I might be able to deploy this in, in serverless environments using APIs in the cloud. I could decide to create a you know three-tiered architecture to my data in my data center. I could just choose to use a SaaS piece of technology to support it. All of those are legitimate, actual implementations. Yep. Given and that, all said and done, the yeah. TCO for each is not generally as 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 wildly off as the vendors would like you to believe. <laughs> right, especially right. at a certain scale. If you're buying, you know, seven figures, eight figures, the price between them all become relatively close. C correct. Yeah. Now, but one might be capex versus opex, and that might meet the first consideration. Right. Even though they're all three are a million dollars, a million dollars of capex is significantly different than a million dollars worth of opex. For for sure, for sure. Yeah. But at the same time, if you if you need it to be opex and it was traditionally capex before, almost there there is a plethora of vendors that'll make their stuff opex. Right. Right. Um, if you want consumption models for traditional hardware, there there are plenty of vendors now that do consumption models for traditional hardware. Right. So. So within that, even even within that, that may not be the the decision maker that you need it to be. Other way around, it might be right. It can't be opex. It must be capex. You're you're you find yourself in today's age far more limited. Yeah, you narrow down the question. Be, before we jump on to example number two, let's double click on this capex opex thing. Have you ever encountered a situation where you were capex spending? And now somebody has told you, or you believe it's to be true, it's better to be OPEX spending. Has that ever occurred? Has somebody as a CFO ever gone to you and said, you know what, we're spending too much cash. You should start to negatively impact the EBITDA. Go spend some OPEX. Um, it's small, small organizations, yeah. Small organizations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because cash on hand is different than cash flow for them, right? right? So, so it's really about how do I manage my cash flow? 
large organizations generally want to do capex. They're generally far more motivated by capex for that for that where when when and where possible, when and where reasonable. Yeah, especially since senior executives gets bonused on the EBITDA, right? So the right. last thing you want to do is pack that with, with more actual expense, right? I'd rather capitalize people-based projects so that that number looks healthier. Yeah. Okay. So I would just decide no, because it is very rare in my in any, any experience I've seen where people are purposely choosing to go from capex to upex because it has a financial benefit to them. Um, no, but I did see an awful lot of organizations switch from capex to opex, especially like post two thousand eight. Yeah. Post two thousand eight, there were a lot of organizations that switched from capex to opex. But was that for the financial benefit or for all the other benefits of a consumption program? No, no, it was, um, it, well, it, it was for the financial benefit, but it really was around cash flow, right? When, when cash is cheap, then CapEx is the way to go. When cash is not cheap, CapEx isn't necessarily the way to go. I think we're about to enter another phase where we're going to see a big push into OpEx again because cash, is, cash is, not, is not cheap anymore. Yeah, right. If this, if this sustains, then then cash will continue to not be cheap, right? Um, and and it affect it, it affects the mid market and the the small space a lot more than it does the large. Sure, because the large right. arguably are creating their own cash. C correct. Okay, so that's number one. Financial is the number one. Where yes, um, if for some reason I have to choose capex over opex, and one of my solutions will only be you know, acceptable financially with my organization, I'm going to choose that. So if finance isn't a problem and architecture slash technical solution are all relatively equivalent, what's next? What, what other set of criteria is going to lead me to decision one versus decision two, vendor one versus vendor two, architecture one versus think, architecture two? That's, that's the thing. I, I don't actually think there's multiple criteria. I think there's one criteria. All right, what's that? I have a list of checkboxes, right? Does it fit the financial model I need? Does it technically do what I need? Can I integrate it into my team as a capability to have to retrain 50 people, right? Yeah. Like those are just checkboxes. As in, if, if I can't check the proper box, then the answer is no and it's disqualified. And that generally leaves me with two to eight different things that'll easily do the job, right? right. So we're at, that, we're at that situation. So now right. between the two to 10, how do you decide? Which one's the partner? Ah, okay, so that that's criteria. That criteria one for you. Do I go all in in a partner that I think has longevity? I like diversification. Okay, right? I like I like to have two or three what I would consider key or critical partners in my in my in my space in my organization, right? right? Um, especially because things change too often. You know what I mean? Like sometimes it's the, generally a partner is a combination of the individual and the company, hmm. right? So the partner will be an organization that backs up the team as well as the people who make up the team. It's the combination of those things. Right. So if I go all in on one partner and something in that team changes, I may no longer have a partner I'm happy with, hmm. right? Um, right. Or something changes within that organization fundamentally. I may not have the same partner that I had kind of got in bed with. And so I really, I, I diversify, but I don't hugely diversify, right? Like two, two and a half is generally my happy space. As in, I have a primary A, a primary B, and those are roughly equivalent. And then I have like an E vendor. Right. Right. Um, 
and I, I I'll try to feed stuff to the e vendor, and and then and then it's really is A or B better? And A and B tend to get about let's say between A and B they get forty two and a half percent of my spend each, with the e vendor getting you know the other ten percent or fifteen percent. So if you're looking at your two to ten legitimate solutions, you're going to effectively eliminate the ones that you're currently not on your list of three partners. That that is generally true. Okay. Well that that's helpful. Right. So that narrows it quickly. So essentially saying you probably have at, you know, an infrastructure type partner, a services type partner, and a software type partner. Give or take. It may not yeah, be equivalent, but it's in that relative. Yeah, some of them get large enough that they blend. Yeah. And my infrastructure now has blended so much that that you can't be a pure infra partner. You have to be infra and services. But right. you're not necessarily infra and apps, right? Or cloud and apps. Um, right. So. Right. I buy that. Is personal credibility or personal, I don't want to use the word credibility for a second. Uh personal investment or personal value uh, factor. So what absolutely. does it do for me? What What's in it for me? A absolutely. Hmm. It absolutely is a factor, right? Um, I've been paying attention much as you have and much as Carlos has, right, to, to, to my career for a while. And so there were times where, where it came down to, um, we have an interesting solution. It's three part, it's three, three different, like my partner had three partners involved, mm -hmm. right? Um, they think it's interesting and they want to invest. And part of their investment is putting you on stage at VMworld or insert name of conference. Right. Right. Um, yeah. That'll push me over the, that, that'll push it over the finish line for me without a doubt. Unequivocally. Mm -hmm. Why? Because I have to manage my brand. Right. Right. Um, because it's unlikely unless I have decent equity that this will be the last place I work. And even with decent equity, it's still unlikely to be the, like, I'm too young. It's unlikely to be the last place I work. Right? right. I plan on working for as long as I can form coherent thoughts that people want to listen to. So, you know what I mean? And so, so how does it, how does it, how does it affect me personally within that specific context? How does it help my career? Yes, that is valuable. So let's talk about that because I hear that frequently on, you know, what's in it for me. What are the, what are the things that could be put on the table, right? So you mentioned one, which was getting me up on stage at VMware. Uh, uh, other ones could be, what was that? Publishing a paper, a paper I'm featured in. Okay. Right. Um, Webinars, blogs, sure, sure. Yeah. any stagecraft related thing. Yep. How about participation in a user group or a, or a, a board, of, an advisory board of some sort? Depends. Depends. Advisory yeah. boards, advisory boards are mostly me giving to them, not them giving to me. Right. But at least you get to subscribe to it, be on it in some way. That might have some prestige. No. It, no, I don't think. I I don't actually think it has much prestige. Not nothing like stagecraft. Hmm. Right. I think stagecraft outweighs everything else by a relatively significant margin. Right. And so, um, yes, you can join our cab. Okay. Cool. Like I'll, right. I'll do it. I'm, I'm, I'm always happy to do it, but it doesn't have the same value. Um, now if, if that's the only kicker, sure. Right. Right. But it's not, that one's not generally enough to, to be motivating. 
So yours is what what can I put in LinkedIn, whether LinkedIn content Correct. or LinkedIn Correct. Uh, like CV. Correct. Yeah. Correct. If I can't put it on my CV, what's the point? Yeah. Right. And the and bigger the like that, the bigger wait, the audience, the bigger the stage, the better the opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Is it recorded? Oh, if it's recorded, that's money. Right. Right. Because now somebody else can go back and watch that and say, okay, I understand how Howard talks and how Howard operates and blah, blah, blah. Right. All those, all those kind of Howardy things that I like. Um, <laughs> right. Um, uh, and, and like I've used this podcast as a, um, as a kind of resume component. Right. Um, you want a webinar from me? You want me to appear on stage? Whatever it is, go watch an episode of the of the podcast and see if you if you like that. If you like how I do that. If you like what I do. If you like how I talk. If you like those things, because um, otherwise it's just you know what I mean. I have to guess, and you right. have to. Guess, and this way, you don't have to guess. How about um, objective co-selling? And by that I mean, uh, you know, you've bought service X from vendor Y. And now you get the opportunity to network with prospects for that vendor Y and help them co-sell this service offering. Essentially, it's creating some street cred for you because now you get to tout your story to a bunch of your peers. Um, that, that, has, that has far less value. Interesting. As well, compared to Stagecraft. Yeah, because how many, how many of those can I... Like, I did that a lot. And how many of those can you possibly touch? Yeah, it, right handful. Fifty a year? Yeah. Okay, well, that doesn't really do me any good. And they're generally <laughs> peers, and they're generally working in organizations that that aren't aren't likely to hire me. Hmm. You know what I mean? You'd like, be taking their role. <laughs> yeah, I'd be taking their role or the role above it. And and oftentimes, yeah, that's a different conversation, right? Oftentimes, you're having a conversation with someone who doesn't get it the way you do, and they're at an organization that isn't likely to invest in people that push the envelope. And so right. touching six of those people isn't necessarily going to be the direction directionality that I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we talked financial angle. We talked what's in it for me angle. Is there another angle that would help? What's, in it, for my what's in it for my people? Interesting. Absolutely. Right. Okay. If your product touches six of my team members, um, and you want to be a partner and you can throw training in, right? You can push like, like I had a, I had a, a vendor once that did, uh, that committed to quarterly one, quarterly lunch and learns sponsored by them hmm. <coughs> where they'd come in and, and, and there were a whole bunch of different things they used to kind of build the topic, the agenda, but that was fantastic. My, my team got, I, I was able to invest in my team in a way that didn't cost me anything in my PL. Right. That's hugely valuable. Uh, I would actually say that's probably more valuable to me than the what's in it for me. Interesting. If vendor one said, we'll put you on stage and vendor two said, we'll give you training for your whole team. I'd probably take right. the training for my whole team. If that was an option. If, if it was right. either Those were the head yeah. heads. They never are. Like, let's be honest, right? Um, everybody wants you to be on stage for them if you've got decent stage craft. So it's not really like you don't have to twist their arms too hard to make that happen. Yeah. Um, and generally what you can do is I'll, I'll appear on stage for you, but any, any conference or anything that where I appear on stage for you, you have to give me three tickets for my team members to go. Right. 
I'll pay for their travel. You pay for the conference. You know what I mean? Something along those lines. Um, right. And generally that's, that's been effective. Uh, and then it's kind of best of both worlds, right? Going down that rabbit hole. It is interesting that, you know, all three of us have worked for vendors before. And it is actually pretty difficult to get any one particular customer to do any stagecraft. It's difficult to get a quote. It's difficult to get them on a blog. It's difficult to get on a webinar. And I'm constantly surprised how difficult that is, knowing how beneficial it is to you personally to doing those kind of things. And I wonder what that block is. It, it hasn't been a block for me for 20 years. <laughs> how is it still a block for the vast majority of these technical executives? Other than your company won't let you do it. Which I was going to say that is, is it a company issue or is it a, a, an executive issue? I would say it's 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 legitimate to a point. It's not entirely legitimate. Maybe if you work for the federal government, that might have concerns. But for the most part, people have individual freedom to do it. I don't know. For, what do you think? Uh, for the most part, you are mostly true. That is mostly true. For the most part. Even even if you work for the Fed, it isn't really that hard to get up on stage. Right. But you still likely have are, are required to communicate with someone and get someone to ch say yes. Right. You likely have to clear it with someone. For most people, they've never done that and they don't really have an interest and they have stage fright. Hmm. Like most people aren't comfortable on stage. They, they just aren't. That's true. Right? I think it's a skill... And as an executive, I think it's a skill that, that pays dividends. So you absolutely should develop the skill. And all it takes to develop the skill is practice. Doing it. Exactly. So correct. You're not gonna you're not gonna you're not gonna get over stage fright any other way than doing it. And I buy that with a two thousand person, you know, in person physical stage. But you still get pushback on recorded webinars with no audience. There's a lot of people that aren't comfortable with that either. Right. That being said, if they're not active, if people aren't actively seeking it, then they're also not actively seeking the process within their or to understand the process within their own organization. And so it may seem a little black boxy. It may seem, seem a little like gatekeeping, gate, gatekeeped. But but I change organizations more than most executives, I think. And I have yet to find it actually be a problem, even when it's a written policy. Like going through it has never it's just easy you just right. it's, it's a piece of cake this is what i'm going to say i've removed intellectual property considerations i've removed anything that makes us look bad ultimately it's a win for us there's no you know there's no confidential confidentiality to it here's the statement right um and i've never i i, I have never had a company come back and say yeah we're not going to let you do that plus you know realistically it's not in the employee's best interest to badmouth their current employer. So, so the likelihood they would do that in a public setting is very, very, very low. It's not right. in your best if it's not in your best interest to badmouth a prior employer. True. Yeah. Right? Like, like it's just not in your best interest to badmouth anyone. This is a small industry. It's a very, very small space. Right. Right. Um, and word gets around if that's something that you commonly do. Right. Right. Like. You know, there's a VAR that badmouthed the former employee to a third party that I happen to know. Right. They're on my ban list. I'm not, I have no interest in ever working with them again. Right. Cause it's just, there's a, there's a lack of class in doing that. 
and and no one's ever as honest as I think they should be in those situations. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, always paint the picture rosy their direction instead of being honest about it and going, nah, like it didn't work out. Why didn't it work out? Eh, because because we were just not a good freaking fit. Right. You know what I mean? Like, could it could it have been, could they have done better? Absolutely. Could I have done better? Absolutely. Right. So let's just accept that we both could have done could have done better, and and maybe we 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 each own a little of the responsibility, and we just fucking move on. Yeah. The the other angles of those fears are, these are one time events. People are going to forget ten minutes after it occurred, right? Like I've watched thousands of webinars. Do you think I remember the context value or you know the strength of the speaker on any one of them? No, I I I have no I can't remember any of those, right? So. There's not a lot of longevity, even if you were poor at doing it. So you might as well do it, right? Correct. Um, so like and that's every a- single time you can list it on your accomplishments, every single exactly. time. It's something on LinkedIn that a peer doesn't have. And when a prospective employer looks at it, they're going to see it. In fact, I'd argue all my best stagecraft were never recorded. <laughs> I had yep, some real yep. top A pluses that nobody will ever see. <laughs> and I've had some real recorded stinkers, right? So I would say on average, I probably recorded poorly compared to how I actually think that's I present. True. That's true. There's probably more <laughs> as a as a percentage, there's probably more recorded ones where I shit the bed than there right. are non-recorded ones. <laughs> right. Right. Like I probably screwed up more recorded than I did live and not recorded. Right. Exactly. There's, there's something about recording too, that adds a, just a, like a, a little bit of background pressure. Yeah. Right. Um, but also I find before I did recordings, um, I didn't know a topic as well. Hmm. Like, like being able to, build an argument and deliver that argument to an audience that is kind of one-sided and can only ask very pointed questions in a QA and a um, means you, you actually have to understand it pretty well. Mm-hmm. And it kind of puts the onus on you to, to do that and makes you, it just makes you better. Right. right? Um, and, and like once I started really focusing on technical stagecraft, right? Um, the stagecraft of the job board meetings became the most painless thing in the world. Executive meetings became the most, like, what are you going to do? Yeah. You know what I mean? You're not, you actually want me to be successful. Whereas half of the audience wants to see me fall flat on my face. Right. Right. So, so. (laughs) Exactly. There's Um, no risk in this conversation. Yeah. Cause. Correct. You it hired removed, me and you're expecting risk. me to succeed. <laughs> right. It removes the risk from the riskiest of conversations. And then the more you do it, it removes the risk from the least risky as well. Right. Yeah. So so the things that you think have risk, board meetings, executive meetings, those sort of things, that risk just goes away. You sound more polished in the room. People react better to it. Right. Um, yeah. it, it's nothing but a pure win for you. And then when you're on stage, you're also better. Right. And so your public brand and your private brand are both improved by simply taking the step. So I would always I, I would always do it every time. It was interesting. I was asked recently because I do ask me anything, which are for the whole company. You know, hundreds of people show up to ask me anything. 
and I tend to do a third what I hear from the outside, a third what's happening with the IP engineering, and then a third just ask me any questions you want to ask me, whether it's about what you heard or anything else. And the question I received recently by a couple technologists is, don't you think that's a risk going into that situation where you don't know the questions and therefore probably are not prepared with the answer? And my response to them almost every time is, it's not likely they're going to ask a question that I either can't answer directly or can't effectively direct in some other way, right? You as an executive have figured out how to not answer this question in the politest way possible. Plus, um, <laughs> how many questions that you should be able to answer are you unable to answer? Not how many questions in the entirety of the world. Right. Right. But if somebody asked, got up on, if I was on stage and I'm doing a, a Kubernetes <laughs> management talk and somebody said, um, I'm curious, what is the command that you would run in this version of Docker to accomplish this thing? I would say, I have no idea. Why would that be something I would need to know? Exactly. You so, know what I mean? Like, what's the parameter I need to use? Correct. Okay, that doesn't matter, right? Slash help. It'll tell you. Right. Slash and, help. <laughs> Right. Like, like that, that's the part that, that kind of blows my mind. Right. If it's within the context of something I should know, no, I'm perfectly happy to answer it. And if I don't know it, then it just means it's something that I will know next week. Yeah. Right. I'll know it in an, within an hour of stepping off stage. I'll, I'll, I'll know it because, well, I, I feel I should have known it then and research it. And if it's not something I should know, guess what? I'm not going to take the time to learn it within an hour. Plus, you have to set the context. My context when I start those AMAs are, this is not a stump the CTO session. Your, your goal is not to find some complex topic to which I won't be able to answer. Your goal is to learn from what I have learned outside the organization to apply to what you're doing inside the organization. Well, and, and if you decide to make it a stump the chump kind of conversation and you want to stump the CTO... Yeah. Um, there are th there are a couple things you probably should note. Um, the first is no one's going to learn from that, right. in which case it doesn't really have value and misses the purpose. Um, two, I I'm not going to learn from that, right? So I don't get any benefit from it as the presenter. And three, I'm pretty likely to remember who the hell you are. <laughs> exactly. And not in the way you'd like the CTO to remember who the hell you are. That's right. Right? Like, <laughs> I'm cool if somebody asks a question I should know and I don't know the answer to it. Right. I, I, I honestly, I probably won't remember who asked the question, but right. I will remember it. I will find the answer and I will get back to, like, I'll have somebody pull up the recording and we'll, I'll get back to them. Right. You know, somebody will make a note and I'll get back to them, whatever it happens to be, right? That stuff's important. But if someone, if someone goes out of their way to stump the chump, you're not going to want me to remember you. And I promise I will. <laughs> like, I wouldn't do that to you. Why would you think that it would be fun to do that to me? Exactly. Right. All right. So back to the topic. So, so all things being equal, you have two to 10 legitimate solutions. We've narrowed it down into partners I already have that I want to invest more in. What's in it for me? What's in it for my team? Is there a fourth or are those the top three? Is there a what's in it for the company? Is there a there's value of being a bigger fish in this pond. In other words, I'm going to go all in and AWS and Google and Microsoft and Oracle. No, because if you're a big fish, you're a big fish regardless of the pond. Right. 
right? Um, and too many of the decisions, like uh, that, that becomes a kind of is this? Do I have the ability to make this strategic? And ultimately, if the answer is yes, it's still the same. Like it's still not going to narrow it down to one, right? You know what I mean? It might change the three that get that that go from the ten to the three, but it's still not going to narrow it down to one. Is right. there a risk dimension or has that already been taken care of because you have three partners? <clears throat> it's already been taken care of because it's three partners and three, and I've narrowed it down to three. Right. And you've already de-risked them in whatever Correct. way you need to de-risk them. Correct. So it's really just who's the right partner to deliver this thing. Um, right. It just comes down to people. I, I will say one of the things that, that I do find helpful in those, like if I, if I just can't make a decision, yeah. then really it's put me on the phone with your... CXO as is relevant and and let's let's dig in. You know what I mean? Like like then it becomes and and I've had this happen where it's come down to strategy of the product maker not current state of product. Hmm. Right? And I'll have strategic conversations with a CEO, a CTO, a you know, whatever, a chief of product, right? right? A chief product officer, you know. Um and and kind of dig into what is their why What's their goal? What's the kind of what, what? What do they see as phases? What's their exit strategy? You know, really dig into their strategy and see does that align with mine? Is that a strategy I want to support? Um, and I've had that. I've had it come down to to that as a decision. And and that hasn't happened like in in some cases that doesn't happen terribly late in the process. There's not a lot of a flailing, and then I go hook me up with an executive, right? Um, Can I guess that? You're not having that conversation with the sales hierarchy, but you want to have that conversation with the technologist or product. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's gotta be the like I said, yeah. it's gotta be the CEO, the chief product officer, or the CTO. Like I can't right. think of a there may be a fourth, but yeah, I don't want to talk to marketing and I don't want to talk to your head of sales. Like that doesn't <laughs> you know. But it's the EVP of sales. No. <laughs> I've never been impressed because someone set up a meeting with the EVP of sales. No. Not, not even one time. <laughs> one time. <laughs> They've never pushed the sale over, and I, and I can't. I can honestly say I've never been in a room where that has pushed a customer into a sale. I see. I have been in many rooms where that's pushed a customer away from a sale. Right. Because the person who understands the product the least is generally the EVP of sales. Right. Right. They're very good salespeople. They're very good at managing people. They're they're often very inspirational and great leaders for leading sales teams and all of that is fantastic and they need to be employed at the same time. They often don't know their ass from a hole in the ground when it comes to what the product can actually do. And oftentimes say it can do things it cannot. And they're right. highly transactional and they're incredibly <laughs> transactional. Yeah. Right. And then all they're going to do when, when I leave the room is go, Hey, did we make that sale? Like, are they going to buy? Well, right. well they were, now I have to undo everything you just said. <laughs> right. You made a right. lot of promises. You made a lot of promises do. that we don't do. Um, yeah. and, and even if we did do them, I don't know the team that does them. And now you've set an expectation with the customer that's 10x what I had set. Right. Or, or even worse, <clears throat> they tell a customer story that that as they're telling it aligns to your problem, but in reality has nothing to do with your problem. And therefore the account exec now has to figure out how to retell that story because that's not an appropriate one to bring those two CTOs together for. Or, or it's not relevant at all, which right. I've had happen as well. 
right? Where where they're like, yeah, that's, I mean, I appreciate that you brought an executive in, but but that story is not relevant to us at all. We solved that six months ago. We solved that three years ago. Like we, we, right. we want to know what you guys do that's more than that. Because if that's all you do, we're really not interested. <laughs> right. right. And it's, it's flat shuts, shut stuff down. You put, you put the head technologist in the room, right? Somebody who can roll up their sleeves and dig in. That's a totally different thing, right? You right. put the, the company CTO in the room, or you put the company chief product officer in the room, you put the person whose name is on the patent filings in the room. It's a very different, it goes very differently, right. right? They're not always right for the room, but they're always right for the room. By which <laughs> I mean, they may not speak at the level to the audience, but they always impress the audience. Right. And if they don't, you're probably shilling the wrong product. Yeah. Right. Yeah, if, you, if you don't find your CPO, if you don't find your CTO, if you don't find your CEO to be impressive with customers, to, Im to be able to impress customers, you're at the wrong company. Go pick a different company to work for. Yeah. When Hugh Yoshida walked into a room, you listened to whatever uh, Every time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Carlos, we passed the 40 minute mark. Yeah. We passed the mark. Three topics your financials or OPEX, uh, what's in it for me, and then how will they affect uh, my people? If they mm -hmm. can do something to impact my people. There are three great details to understand when somebody's coming and offering you something, what will make the difference. So understanding that, it makes a huge difference in how you understand the vendor. And when you had to make a decision between vendor A and vendor B, what could it be? So as always, my friends, make sure that you take the time, take notes, share this podcast or video cast with someone else. And we'll see you on our next episode.